0: You're tuned into 9 to 5 Work Rebels with your host, Ebony Gale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gems in Com series special brought to you by 9 to 5 Work Rebels in association with Hanson Search, the award-winning international exec search consultancy. I am Ebony Gale, your host, and today I'm really excited to be speaking with Advita Patel, Now she is a communications and inclusion strategist and she's the director of Comms Rebel. She's also the co-founder of A Leader Like Me and also Calm Edged Rebels. As well as an EDI advocate as well. So as you can tell, uh, Evita got a lot going on. You have a lot going
1: on. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like to keep myself busy, Ebony. I like oh, I love it. Busy. Well,
0: welcome <laughs> to the podcast. again. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. And just to give you a quick bit of a background. So, this is all about giving people of color, we're working with incomes, their flowers. Okay. So, this is your flower moment of, you know, well done for all you've done within the industry thus far, you know, the trailblazing that you have been doing. So, it's kind of like your well done and This podcast is literally saluting people of colour in comms at the moment. So that's what we're focusing on. So I'm going to go straight into it, which is I want to ask you to tell us about yourself and exactly what you do. I know I gave a nice big intro there, but you can break it down for them a little bit. (laughs)
1: No, thank you. Um, So I have worked within internal communication for nearly 20 years. uh, And most of my roles have been in-house. Uh, in in um corporate life so I've worked in aviation I've worked in NHS I've worked in nuclear uh, I've done so many different kind of roles Um, but I suppose about five years ago I decided that I wanted to do something a bit different in the world of work I have because of my experience in different cultures and different organisation industries one thing that was certain was that everybody's very same yeah (laughs) the way we do things the way we communicate the way we handle change the way we tweet our colleagues it's all very same it it could be different industries but leadership style is quite similar Mm. and it's Einstein I think who said if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and seeing change and want to expect to see change then it's a sign of insanity Yeah. and I couldn't agree more with what he says because I saw it you know I saw people wanting to implement change but expect doing the same thing to see change happen and one of the big things that kind of came into my world around that time was around inclusion and diversity and equity Um, and I never really considered myself as a South Asian woman from the north of England at any point I tried to hide that part of myself for a very long time when I I never intended to get into communications either the reason I didn't want to emphasize the fact that I was a woman of color living in the north of England, was because I didn't want anyone else to see that discrimination, which was a ridiculous thing because people saw it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but when, when, when I was, so my degree was actually in information technology all right. and I always wanted to work in tech. You know, ever since I got my first home PC and we, we dialed up to that modem, remember the, the, the old modems. Yeah. That you could and nobody could be on the telephone. <laughs> You're on, on, on the, they're showing my age. I'm showing my age. But I loved, I loved technology. I loved how it could connect you to people. I loved how you could collaborate. I loved how it made the world smaller. And I remember at 16 getting this at home PC and, and the first modem and logging on to AOL. And I'm thinking to myself, this is incredible. So, I studied IT and it was my lecturer in, in when I was doing IT. There were 78 of us in in a lecture, and there's only two of us that were women. Um, wow. I know. And I remember my lecturer in my second year or third year said, um, I really value and admire the fact that you're both of you. So, me and my friend Sophia, who is there, are doing this, this course, but I have to pre warn you it's going to be really hard for you to get a job in wow. the world of tech. And this is like late nineties, early two thousands, right? And there wasn't as Gosh. much support out there for women in tech, yeah. like there is today. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, God, that's a bit, that's a bit rude. But it, you know what? It's
0: being he was quite honest. <laughs> he was being honest, but he was
1: being he was honest and truthful because he was right. When yeah. I graduated, and I graduated with a two one, you know, I did a whole website development thing, coded. So I used to do JavaScript, in C HTML. Oh, wow. You know, I was I was a proper coder. And I loved it. I loved all of that stuff. But getting a job was an absolute nightmare.
2: Wow.
1: Um, and when I did finally get a job, the boss in that job bullied me. Um. Wow. And I didn't recognise bullying. I just thought that's just the way office culture is because my mm. parents worked for themselves. I didn't. I never had that experience of being uh, my parents coming home and talking about CEOs or chief yeah. exa- uh, or CFOs or office culture and yeah, how et- office etiquette. No, none of that. You know, yeah. I didn't have any of that. My parents were entrepreneurs and mm. and that's the way I was brought up. You know, that kind of own business owners. Yeah. So I just thought that was a way of life, to be honest with you. Um, But I became really miserable. And it was only when my mum and dad dragged me into their office one day, about eight months into this job. Um, And bearing in mind, my parents, you know, stereotyping here massively and generalising. But the typical South Asian parents in the sense that they are very busy we don't yeah. often talk about our emotions at home <laughs> you know? it's a very much like crack on with it yeah you know, don't make a massive deal about it, that kind of stuff so my parents took me into their office about eight months into this job and said you're not the person that we thought you're not the person that you were but wow. uh, you, you're, you're you don't seem to be happy you you don't seem to have any zest for life anymore oh.
2: you know you seem to,
1: yeah they recognize that and I didn't even see it in myself at that time um, so I said to my dad, I'm, I'm not happy in my job. I just find it really miserable. So he's like, well, quit. Yeah. And to be honest with you, that's the first time my parents had ever said, quit. Yeah. You know, they've always said, you know, being, you know, coming from Kenya and India, as they both did in the mid 60s and early 70s, it was all about, up, you know, stiff up a lip, crack on, yeah. you know, work hard, keep your head down, don't give up, you know, prove your worth, work twice as hard, all of that kind of mentality yeah uh, and that's what I grew up with so when my dad said just quit then I was like really he's like yeah just quit
0: uh, so system for you, right? it was you a really out. big shock. it was a
1: permission it was a permission to do something a bit rebellious yeah. right and that was I think that was a little flavor of my first step into rebellious world yeah uh, so I remember going in the next day and saying to the boss um the woman uh, I'm going I'm leaving and she said, I remember her, because she went, oh, good, because we were going to have a conversation about how long you're going to stay here anyway. Wow. I know. What evil woman. Gosh, she sounds know, horrendous. It, oh, it was terrible. You know what? At that time, I don't think I realised how much of an impact that first job had had on I me. I can and only imagine, though. That's
0: such an evil thing to say as well. Especially yes. your first job out of uni, you're first, kind of like yeah. bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you're like excited yeah. to get going. And yeah, but this person yeah. who seems to want to make a, your life a misery, for what reason? Yeah, I know, I know. God. But
1: it, it taught me a lot of lessons. and one of the lessons it taught me was I was never going to put myself in a situation where I was less, I felt less than what they made me yeah. feel. Yeah. So, I made sure that my whatever job I was going to get next, I was going to save a chunk of my money into my get out of here fund. So, I would never ever be dependent on that salary. Which yeah. is a which is a privilege for my on me to be honest with you, because I could afford to do that. Mm. But I was determined not to be ever ever made to feel less than who what I'm worth.
2: Yeah. So I went off. Not. So I went
1: I went off to Kenya, as you do. I went to go and go and find my epiphany and decide what, what to do in my life. And when I got back, I uh, I just got an admin job in a university and I met my first mentor, Catherine, and it's the first time I've been mentored in my life. And she worked in marketing. Um, and I signed up to do a HR master's at this point. I was probably about three months into the program, and she says to me, "You've got a natural knack for marketing. Mm. Why don't you transfer your master's into strategic marketing and mm. get into comms and marketing?" And I loved marketing. You know, she I went and worked with in her team one day a week to kind yeah. of support them with student recruitment. And so I did. So I went back. I went to I went to back to my like uh, my lecturer and I said, "I want to swap to strategic marketing," and I did. So I did my master's part-time in in strategic marketing and I worked full-time and I just tried to get myself involved in more comms-related jobs. Right. Uh, And the first job I applied for, proper comms job I applied for, was a marketing officer job. That's how it was sold to me. But in fact, it was um, internal comms. And that was my first kind of foray into internal comms because it was about communicating a coaching program to NHS colleagues across um, the UK. And it was all about internal comms and, and how you collaborate and connect people and yeah. communicate the packets of people buy into it. So, yeah, that's how I kind of ended up doing oh, internal amazing. comms and staying. And staying really there. interesting.
0: Yeah. Really interesting. Because I was going to say, have you always wanted to work in comms? So that wasn't really wait, the way you was going at Oh, was you? you was going down the no. IT route. was no,
1: Fascinating. No, I want to be the next female Bill Gates.
2: I was well, yeah, but it
0: sounded like he was going that way and you met some <laughs> evil woman along your way who was like, I know, go, oh my gosh, I just throw but- her up her path. But look what he's done, it's- you know. Exactly. Which is so oh, important
1: wow. to- for mentors and coaches. I'm a big fan of that. I think yeah. it makes such a big difference to who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really interesting. So... My question there is then maybe what attracted you to the industry of comms? What was it that got you really like, oh, this is something that's for me? Besides your mentor pointing out that you're good at it, what did you like about it in particular?
1: Oh, I just, you know, what I realised, probably I I only really realised it probably about 10 years into my career, but I was actually quite, I loved writing and I loved connection and I loved all of that kind of work uh, in, in, school but it was it was kind of beaten out
0: of me okay uh, quite not not physic, not literally no no I get what you mean <laughs> not literally the fun kind of gets drained out of it was, it was a bit stuff.
1: like I suppose my parents you know I was one of the first to go to university from my cousin group and it was not English and doing that kind of work wasn't really wasn't seen.
0: looked at as a yeah not
1: a, they didn't see it as a career right yeah. and nobody in my school days had ever spoken about comms or PR. So, yeah. you know, when you have a visitors come in and talk about careers, yeah. we never had anybody from PR or communications come to Yeah. Not we was just nice never to. did. So, yeah. what you don't know, you don't know, right? Yeah, so, of course. I didn't yeah. realize this career kind of existed. And I love writing. Yeah. And I remember writing little storybooks when I was, you know, in my teenage years and writing. Romantic stories, and I was a big fan of Sweet Valley High, and this is yeah. definitely showing my age. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if any of your listeners, so I love that kind of American teen drama concept. So I used to write all these creative stories, but I was never encouraged. um It was, it was a bit like it's a hobby. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, and I realised probably ten years in my career that I love, I love writing. I love communities. I love bringing people together. I absolutely adore the work, especially internal communication, where you can help leaders communicate better with their team so they can thrive in the work and they you know they perform and and feel like where they're adding value and feel connected because we spend so much of our time at work and we spend so much of our time with people that are not our family that you have to be able to enjoy what you do to an extent. You know, you want to be able to go into work and be valued for the work that you're doing, and be treated well, and have the communication. And that first boss taught me a lot around what not to do, absolutely, and how how. And that's you know, and I don't regret that moment in my yeah. life because well, she definitely didn't. It? Yeah, yeah, it does, and you know, I always try and take these up, these kind of terrible moments in my life to see how can i turn it around and make sure i'm learning my lessons from that yeah, absolutely. and that's why and that's why i love it and that's why i i stayed with internal comms i did dabble in external and media yeah. relations and all of that kind of stuff i think you do don't you try and find yeah, you, you see what you like
2: yeah
1: well and it just and i just there was a pull for internal comms for me it was definitely i just love everything about it
0: about and i'm it. Yeah. absolutely
1: passionate about what oh, it does but, yeah. and what it can stand for
0: oh good Good, love that, love that. I'm gonna dip a little bit into sort of your lived experience a bit more here. So one of the questions I ask all my guests is basically when did you become aware of your ethnicity? So I always talk about me becoming aware when I was around 11 years old, just started secondary school and really going, you know, heading into school and finding out and hearing about these rumors about this group of white guys, bugs that would go and find black, brown people and would get razors and carve a smile into their face. Um, and they were called Chelsea Smilers. So I remember being kind of petrified going off to school, just thinking, God, like, these people really want to try and attack myself or anybody who's brown or black because of the skin we're born in. So obviously you know you're born into the skin that you're in. You know, you're in your family, you're at home, you're comfortable. It's like when you go to the outside world, and that was my moment of, "Oh, okay." became particularly aware, you know, acutely aware. (laughs) It's just, it's it's shocking, like... For me, it was
1: when I was about seven, I think, seven or eight. And I remember my friends in primary school saying to me that they're not going to play with me until I wash my dirty skin. Wow. And so I remember going home and scrubbing my skin in the kitchen sink. Um, wow. And my mum catching me saying, what are you doing? Yeah. And I remember, the, you know, it's weird what you remember of these conversations. I remember my mum kind of looking a bit, what are you doing? I said, I'm, yeah. trying, to, I'm trying to scrub my skin clean. Because it's dirty, and she was like, "That's so heartbreaking." Don't don't be, don't be silly. You can, you can't rub your skin clean. This is the color of your skin. Like this is what you are. So she asked me to explain what had gone on, and and my mum kind of told me a little bit of the story because I remember the memory of being told. I remember going into the playground and my friends, who were really good friends, as I thought they were, at seven, you know, your friends are a big thing to you. Yeah, of course. Uh, just not not coming anywhere near me and saying yeah. things like, oh, you smell and this and you're going to need to clean yourself and just from nowhere, which kind of wow. trauma, if I think back, it's quite a traumatizing. It
0: is, absolutely. Experience. traumatizing for a child and that was seven a, years old. It is. Like, yeah.
1: It is. And then we moved to, so that happened. And my mum had a word with the head teacher and I moved to different schools actually. Mm. um and but in the school i moved to i was the only me and my sister actually were the only people of color in the entire school and the oh, area wow. that we moved to was predominantly white right and the first night we were there somebody spray painted on our window uh f off home you don't belong wow. here and i remember coming out of the house and mom kind of scraping with the mm. scraper thing in the window as i could just see the outline of the black spray paint yeah. and I said oh I said oh what's going on and she went oh just it's nothing it's just a bit of dirt I'm just cleaning oh. it up you get off to get off to school and I would say the years from 10 years old till I was 19 I had a, I lived in a horrific racist area right. so our house was set on fire we had fire the we were, wow. through the letterbox we were mice came through the letterbox my I remember my parents buying me my first car and it was smashed to bits the next day
0: wow
1: um, and it was it was every single day I was reminded that I didn't belong in that community and I think that really changed me as an individual as it would when I started to head into uh, work situations when I mentioned about the start of this podcast that I didn't want to identify with who I was so my sister and I both became very westernized very quickly you know we wanted to belong you wanted to assimilate didn't you you didn't want to be standing out exactly yeah. we wanted to yeah. belong we wanted to prove these thugs and racists that we did belong yeah so we didn't we stopped speaking the language at home we stopped wearing our traditional clothes we pretended to be someone that we weren't to an mm. extent you know we we became very westernized very quickly uh, and even i remember going to my cousin's engagement and everybody had the indian outfits on and i me and my sister wore uh, western suits and there's oh, pictures wow. of us wearing suits wow. to this wedding and when i think back i'm like I was like 18, 19 at the time. And I remember thinking, what was I doing? But this is what happened. It's Trauma. exactly. It's and serious. it's exactly what happens when yeah. you are when you don't belong and you want to belong. So when I went into the workplace and after that first incident of that bullying thing, I refused to acknowledge, like I said to you, that I was this South Asian woman. And I refused to be part of any communities that were, you know, Black, Asian, ethnic minority groups that they had in organisations. I felt that it was really kind of, you know, not my cup of tea, wasn't my thing. And I became, and I used to proudly call myself the communications chameleon. I'm like, I'm a oh. cons chameleon. I can adapt my personality to to make sure everybody belongs. Not recognizing that me doing that, I was making other people comfortable and making myself uncomfortable to make yeah. them feel welcomed. And I suppose it's probably about probably only about six years ago when I had a five years ago, actually, when I had this confidence crisis um, when I just didn't know who I was anymore. And uh, something happened at work, which really threw me. And I was a high performer. You know, I was always told that I was on this kind of top tier thing and all that stuff Uh, because I worked hard. You know, I always worked hard to to get into that spot. And then uh, an opportunity that kind of was pulled beneath my feet. And it completely threw me. And the reason it threw me is because they couldn't give me a reason about why that opportunity wasn't offered to me. Mm. And they admitted that they couldn't give me a reason and they didn't know. And that was the first time, I think, I realised that my face didn't quite fit in that organisation and it never will. And when I looked around me, I realised that there was no one like me in that world, in in those senior positions. There's nobody who could... I could look up to and see oh my god I could, if they made it I can make it mm. um and that's why I decided I think it was around that time I thought do you know what I I want to be able to control my own destiny yeah and I want to make sure that I am doing what I need to do to get to where I need to be without having someone else controlling my life for me um and it took me it took me about two years to get to that point definitely it wasn't like you know I didn't wake up one morning and go yeah I'm doing I'm doing a business da, 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 This what I'm gonna do it was a two-year gradual realization yeah that I wanted to set my own business. And then January 2020, and I made a decision that January 2020 was going to be the year for me. 2020
0: was going I mean, to
1: be. everybody the had 2020 for years or something. <laughs> it, it was weddings, it was businesses, I, it was I, Honestly, I was like, it looked great on my limited certificate, like, you know, there's company health certificate 2020. Yeah, 2020. It was, a big, it was a big birthday year for me. And I thought, oh, it' this amazing yeah. And then January, tw- so January, I, I start, started Com trouble in, in huge enthusiasm and gusto and then nine weeks later COVID hit <laughs> I was like <laughs> what it's just like someone's sign to tell me what are you doing and that, that was just um it shook me to my core because mm. I didn't I didn't know so people ask me now you know what's it like to run a business in the pandemic I'm like Do you know what I don't know I, I, yeah. I mean what's it like to run a business outside of the pandemic and I went yeah. I really don't know, you won't know I've either. always run my business yeah. in the yeah, exactly. You've now we're it. kind—it's adjusting, and now Ooh. we're kind of coming out of it. And I'm doing more travel. I'm kind of understanding what what,
0: what it's they like, make, what uh, they it, it's like being outside what, of what it. What they're talking about, yeah. yeah.
1: But it's, it was that you know, and that's when I met Priya Bates, is my co-founder for a leader like me. Okay, and okay. Priya, Priya and I had a conversation about my experience in workplaces mm-hmm. and how we didn't see leaders who looked like us, and this is where a leader like me came from.
0: Yeah, love that. I love that. But I love that something. your story as well. It's really interesting in the sense that you've gone through such a massive journey, uh, yeah. an awakening for yourself, essentially, wasn't it? It's been like yeah. an interesting roller coaster. And that yeah. realization when you didn't get that role must have been quite heavy for you, having, you know, oh, made so much effort to try to like, you know, not acknowledge that kind of part, but just keep yeah. focusing on your skills, aren't you? You're like, well, I've got the skill yeah. set. So what's the problem? Well, Exactly.
1: And you do everything that's asked of you to do. Right. So yeah. I seeked advice and they told me to do this and told me to do that and get a bit of this. And get. And at the yeah. time I was volunteering for the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Yeah. I was traveling to London every month. You know, so I remember getting the train at four o'clock in the afternoon, going to a committee meeting at 6.30 and then right. getting back on the train at 8.30, 9 o'clock and got home at 11 wow. every month to prove that I was committed to my profession. And yeah. I did that, you know, continuously up until COVID, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, and I felt I was putting a lot of, and this is, and I think this is why when I speak to women, specifically women of colour, who have done everything that's asked of them and then the opportunity is gone, it completely knocks your confidence. It does, absolutely.
0: You, you start absolutely. doubting everything about you absolutely I've spoken to quite a few women who've gone through that sort of uh situation and it does affect your confidence and then you it takes a little while for you to realize actually it's not me it's them you know yeah. it is this never was about me it's them and yeah. what they bring to the to, yeah. to the office and what they bring to the table essentially but yeah. it's fascinating even what you went through growing up you know living in that sort of area for your family just must have been so traumatic and the trauma that yeah. a lot of people of color are walking around with immense and people don't realize that either you know when when we walk out the door essentially you know sometimes you have to put a suit of armor around you to be like okay so what you're going to get today of course be all positive vibes but it doesn't mean you're going to get it back all the time so yeah Yeah. absolutely it's hard it's hard and I think people don't this is why
1: Priya and I decided to write a book so we're we're just at the final stages of our book which is about cultivated inclusion inclusive culture in organizations yeah. through comms because comms is such a powerful tool yeah. to connect people and you know it's it's the way you say things there's the way you write things there's the way your body language yeah. all of that plays such a big part in people belonging in an organization and to your point you know when i, re- I you know that those period you know from the age of 7 brought from what i remember till i was about 19 it was traumatic it Absolutely. was traumatic it, it sounds was, like it was it traumatic was, it was, you know, every single day we were, I remember my sister and I hiding in our bedrooms because my parents worked 12, 14 hour days. They so we were never home. Mm. So it's just me and my sister at home on our own and seeing these gangs of, thugs outside yeah. our house every single day, like throwing stuff at the house and worried that they're going to set the I mean, the house was set on fire, to be honest. That in twice. itself
0: is, is so frightening. So frightening. Yeah. Was it at night time? Was you guys in that property?
1: Was you we were there. So oh, I was at home gosh. on my own and they set the house on fire. And I could smell burning and I remember our next door neighbour knocking on the door saying your house is on fire. And I think I was 17 gosh. or 16 at the time and I was a bit like what, why, how cruel can people be yeah and hate somebody so much because of the skin that they're born in exactly you know and, I, and it was just I, mean, my dad, I remember my dad coming back from work and he was he was like and I was crying I remember crying and I'm not a crier at all <laughs> but that was like just such a traumatic thing and he was saying to me it's fine you no know, just you know don't let them see you cry because all the neighbors were out like watching what was going on You're right And um, he's like don't don't let them see that they've broken you you know, just carry, you know, just and, like and then kind of keep it yeah, together. And it kind of, yeah, keep it together. And I suppose that's where that whole stiff upper lip British mentality came in a little Come bit. From, but my yeah. parents went through equally horrific things. And I'm sure other parents did as well in the 60s yeah, and 70s and 80s. Absolutely. And 90s, you know, yeah. the marches, the NF marches that used to take place and the skinheads. And yeah. like you just said, you know, they used to be the, the, um the Packy Bashers. Let's yeah. be honest. That's what was yeah. going on in the north yeah. of England.
0: Yeah, I heard about like that you, quite a lot in, in Northern England. Yeah, I heard quite a lot yeah. about that. And then you've got, I mean, over down in well, South London or in London itself, you had people like obviously you had NF at one point walking around protesting. But from what I remember, um, kind of around my school time, later later school time, was Stephen Lawrence. You know, that was yeah. huge yeah. as well. You know, yeah. murdered murder, yeah. murder the black teenager. You yeah. know, so uh, yeah, was a lot going on. But to hear that, a lot, so, lot going on. Yeah, yeah, there's so much, and it's just so. Heartbreakers to hear that you know you your your house is on fire. You know it's just unbelievable. because of one, your beautiful skin, so sad. Uh, isn't I it? know it is, but you know what? One thing I really like it has made me
1: so. You, you can just go two ways, right? You can either be the victim in yeah. that situation and and be in that moment and just never really get over it, or work at it and prove yourself and everybody else around you that I can make it work and I will yeah. make it work and I will prove all of you wrong. And that fire. It was that fire in my belly from that age on that I was like, I'm and never like, I'm not having this. <laughs> I'm not
2: having this. Like I am
1: so I like that. I way. am outspoken, you know, and I will speak up for other people. And yeah, I have seen and witnessed so many things in my workplace where people have been treated appallingly, and I will say, That's not on. You cannot do that. And this is why I wanted to do something called comms rebel, yeah, because I recognize when you're not rebellious and you're not being a bit mischievous or you're not putting yourself out there, you're allowing other people to create your own narrative for you. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I think, agree on that. and it's not great, is it, when other people I... make assumptions about who you are because of your gender, your sexuality, your, your race, your religion, mm-hmm. whatever. And to your point, which is why I love your podcast, is that you're digging into the stories of different lived experiences. And if you look outside of our world, people do put you in a box, right? So you're black and brown, you know, all the Asians are together, yeah. all the yes. black people together yeah. without recognizing that all, every single one of us have such different experiences and different intersectionalities of who we are exactly. and in organizations. Could just spend a little bit more time and energy in understanding that we wouldn't even have to talk about equity diversity. Inclusion. Exactly.
0: I mean, that's, that's the thing. I, I have conversations with friends all the time saying so it'd be just so nice just not to have this kind of conversation anymore. Yeah. Because it's like, shouldn't everyone be getting it by now? It's not rocket science. It really, it really isn't. isn't. So, it really you isn't. know, I find it super frustrating at times. and It's just like, really? You know, it should have <laughs> then you've got other Then you've got other organizations that are making good strides. You're like, okay, look, good, good, good. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. trying to look for good examples. I'm like, surely there's great stuff out here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And, you know, I think that's Doing
0: this podcast, yeah you know?
1: and things have moved you know things yeah. have progressed i know it feels like we're going really slow at times but if you think back to early 90s even right back in our parents' generation but also further on in the 90s stuff things are progressive people are at least are starting to recognize and talk about it to an extent mm. there is danger of that you know priya and i always say that the light is dimming on it you know the george yes. boyd murder absolutely pushed the agenda forward but I feel like people shouldn't well, people should not have to be hurt or murdered for it to be exactly. recognized as an important part of everybody's life. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, and I do work with organizations to help them recognize that and understand what inclusion means then. But things are changing and we need to recognize that yes, there's a lot of rubbish things that are going on in the world right now, and we hear more of the rubbish things because of the social media side of the world that we're yes, in course. and all the kind of misinformation out there and all that jazz we have to be a bit mindful about what's being shared with us but I make a point every single day to find good news stories mm. because I think that's so important to our mental health you know we yeah, could easily is. just fall into this pit hole pit hole I always say pitfall pit hole yeah of um of just disastrous stories right because we're yeah. surrounded by it but well, we're surrounded can... by bad news bad news cells all it. the time so because you bad news know. all the cells so make yeah. an effort you know if anyone's listening and he feels a bit meh or a bit down or a bit depressed about what's going on then go and find those good they, they exist you know I mute and block on my twitter all the time so yeah. my 80% of my twitter feed is like unicorns and rainbows honestly <laughs> I love that <laughs> I love it because I'm like it's my feed I can curate it as I like
0: exactly and...
1: If I do that to think... all the
0: time. That's a yeah. good point. You know, you've you have got to, to really create what's coming into your space. And I say that all the time because, you know, especially with things like WhatsApp, you get videos sent you all the time, all kinds of things. Oh. And I'm just like, actually, I don't want to see this. I'm not on that kind of nope. frequency. This is not nope. what I want to see. Exactly. So, literally, yeah. I'm just trying to create what it is. And I always think of that as frequencies. Like, what frequency do you yep. want to tune into? Well, I would exactly. be positive. I don't want to hear about anything yeah. negative. So I'm going to stay over here. Happy and clappy. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, that, and, that's a cho- and that's a
1: decision and the choice that everyone should be able to have. Right. And yeah. I understand there's privileges of, around that. But to be fair, you've got to protect yourself first. You've got to protect your mental well-being and your mental health. And if you're struggling with any of that,
2: yeah.
1: nobody is going to, nobody is ever going to care about you as much as you're going to care about yourself. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. And, I and that's something I think... that
0: we've got to remember because I feel we've like we get so it. wrapped up in life and yeah. work and what we're yeah. doing. We, we, I've, I mean, I'm a bit myself. You, you turn around and you realise, actually, you're not putting yourself first. You know, you're not no. even thinking about how it's impacting you. You're, you're on autopilot sometimes. You're yeah. run about everybody else. It's yeah. like, no, you know, you've got to also worry about yourself yeah. in that space. You've so. got to care for yourself. You do, definitely. Yeah, completely agree with you on that. Right, so I wanted to also ask you, Advita, about whether you felt, you know, your race or ethnicity has held you back in your career whether you've actually experienced or witnessed racism within the workplace? And if you have, how was it handled?
1: Yeah, um, I would say the first experience I had, I wouldn't say, I don't, I can't ever say if she was had a problem with my race or the colour of my skin or anything like that. I don't know if it was just me in, as a person. It's really difficult to know. But one, and I've been very lucky, I suppose, in some of my roles, I've had pretty supportive managers have been very generous towards me and giving me the support however there is one incident or a thing i do want to talk about and that was when i met one of my um comms friends and it's the first time i met um a colleague who was working in comms who was uh of color and she was a black okay. woman okay um and i'd worked in comms for 80 years by this point and i would never right. come across a person of color who worked in comms uh which wow. is just
0: that's, battling, horrific. I That's know. absolutely horrific. Actually, no, eight I know. years.
1: Eight years. It was eight years, and I think it. It could be. It could have been because I wasn't probably networking as much as I was in my early career. I was in the north of England, so it, it wasn't as diverse in that world of comms. It still isn't, to be honest. Let's be honest with you, uh, with yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um. So I met my colleague and friend, um, when she when our organisations merged, and she was the comms person in the okay. other organisation. And she was probably 15 years ahead of me, career-wise. And so I saw her as a a mentor, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Informal mentor. Because I remember... So but what happened was I remember my boss, uh, I suppose she was a boss of mine that wasn't as supportive as she could have been. And if I think back to her behaviour, she was pretty uh, passive-aggressive, a lot passive-aggressive, actually. Yeah. I remember her giving me a book, you know, Eat Shoots and Leaves.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: about yeah. She, In my one-to-one, she passed the book over to me and said, "You may want to read this book." And I was like, "Oh, oh right," thinking that is a generous gift. And when I yeah. took it home and I read it, it was about all about uh, poor grammar. Oh, so wow. she's inadvertently telling me that my grammar needed to improve, yeah. and she never once gave me that never once
2: spoke
1: any to any you about books. it. Yeah, <laughs> it that was just bad. such a bizarre thing. Yeah, really so bizarre.
2: bizarre.
1: And yeah, and it was and, and it was just awful. And I remember when they went off to meet. Uh, my colleague and they said oh I'm going to go meet the new comms person and when they came back she said to me oh they're going to be really hard work going to be really hard work I was like oh god I don't need somebody who's going to be hard work I need someone who's going to be very supportive and yeah. then when I met them in person they were incredible they yeah. were vivacious energetic you could hear her laugh before you even saw her yeah I loved her I thought she was incredible but what I did and she'd just come back from uh breast cancer surgery. Oh wow. So she'd been off sick for about nine months a year. So she just came right. back into the workplace. Yeah. And Especially she's disabled. telling me <laughs> Yeah. Not to exactly. be vilified,
0: essentially. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um and she was vilified, right? So there was microaggressions, macroaggressions, aggressions across yeah. the board. And I was I was a bit like, This isn't this is really weird because and, and the reason I think it happened to her specifically is because she was outspoken yeah. in, in a way that she wouldn't put up with nonsense right she yeah. spoke the truth she she's she put her hand up when she felt something wasn't right
2: mm. you know
1: she didn't just keep her head down and just nod along and I don't think people like that Well, they definitely didn't so it was it was the odd comments like oh oh god not her again uh, oh can't believe she's giving me that feedback oh she's just such hard work oh she doesn't work you know all those little tiny yeah. little things yeah and I think the pinnacle moment for me and all of it was making me so uncomfortable. And I remember kind of saying to my mum, well, actually, I said to my mum when I, so this, so it, we went to a meeting and there was an HR director, the comms director and a couple of other directors. And she asked for, so my, my friend asked for a chair to support her surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, can I have a chair? Because I can't work without no rest, armrest. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, that, that's absolutely fine. Just order one. So she got her stuff and she went, thanks. And she left the room and I was still clearing up papers and stuff. And I overheard the HR director say to the comms director, "Well, I hope that now means that she's going to work work hard and put the work in." Oh
2: my gosh! What is and wrong that with these just people?
1: absolutely oh, through me. And yeah. I thought, there's other women who have returned from traumatic experiences from yeah. breast cancer, from other surgeries, and they have been they haven't been treated in that way. Of course, they've been not. very treated very differently. And I remember coming it's home to my work saying, "This
0: is disgusting." Oh,
1: it was just awful. And then. I came up to a mom and said to her mom, "This is I can't believe this was said." My mom, my mom said to me at that point, she said, "This is just you know, this is life for people who are not white."
0: Yeah,
1: like you know, you we're, we we don't we're not the dominant culture here. Mm. You know, we're, we're we we're are also, globally,
0: but not here here. Globally, yeah
1: globally, yeah globally, but in this country we're not the dominant culture. Yeah. You know, we're we're far and few between. We don't get the support. People see us as a hindrance. There are people who don't like us just because of the skin colour. We've experienced this from the area that we lived in,
0: Yeah. you know,
1: earlier on. So I knew that this was just wasn't right. And it was you knew aggressive. it was
0: racism and stuff, but you couldn't, it's 100%. hard to prove because it's microaggression, isn't it? It's not like they're, they're it's not coming so out with the N-word or the P-word. No. You things, you no. know what I mean? They do it very it so underhanded. Hard. It's always, yeah, it's awful. It was awful. It was just
1: awful. And I remember, and, and they never said anything to me. Like never once had they, you know, when I remember speaking to her and said, How are you doing? She's like, Yeah, fine. But then at about three months after all of that happened, I left the organization to go and move on to a new job. And I was doing a handover with her. And it was just two, two of us at night, as usual, yeah. working. And it's about probably about 6:37. And she said to me, I'm so sad that you're leaving. Aww. Um and I I I wish you the best, you know, in everything that you're doing. And I want you to remember that. So one piece of advice I'm going to give you is that when we look the way we look in the profession that we're in, in comms and PR, mm-hmm. we're going to have to work so much more harder than anybody else to prove that we belong in this space because yeah. there are not many of us in this area. And it was actually at that point I realised that I had to join the Chartered Institute of Public Relations yeah. to expand my network outside of the northern kind of world. Yeah. Um, and I went off to my new job. And as you do, you lose touch with people, don't you? Like mm-hmm. you do when when you when you, leave, when you move jobs. And I misdialed her name uh, oh. because I had the same person in my team with the same name as her, and she picked up. And it was one of that really awkward, like, "Oh, I'm not spoken to you in about six months, yes. and how are you doing?" kind of thing. And she's like, "Oh, hi, how are you doing?" I said, Oh, am really well. I'm so... I was like, I'm so sorry. Just been so busy with this new job." She goes, "Oh no, don't you worry. You know, you, I'm so pleased with you." And I said, "How are you doing?" And she went, "Not well, actually." She said, "I've um, relapsed, oh. and I'm going through treatment again." Um. And, but you know what, the only thing she could talk about on that call to me at that time was how she's going to go back into that workplace and prove herself, prove everyone around her wrong, that she This did is belong. what she was
0: worrying about when she's got, she's fighting yeah. what she's fighting. Yeah. And that's she, because she, she didn't feel supported in her workplace, clearly. Because if you felt supported, you wouldn't be thinking about well, You wouldn't you know, care, about would you? That. you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't Your health comes it's first. But that's how no. much it gets into our psyche as well, because mentally we have to deal with that. You go home, you're like, yeah. well, I've worked hard, why, why am I not accepted? you know yeah.
1: so exactly oh, gosh. exactly so she so I wow. was I remember saying to her like don't you dare like even bother with those individuals you deserve yeah. so much more like I realized there is a world outside of that place and we can do so much more Better, we can do better mm. uh, you focus on you you get yourself better and just focus on you and she's like yeah yeah I will you know and like you do and I said all that and then a few weeks later a mutual friend of ours texted me and said that she'd passed away
2: Oh, and no. it
1: absolutely floored me like oh ab- honestly Ebony I was like I remember sitting next to my boss and feeling sick because mm. the last conversation I had with her was all about proving her worth
2: yeah
1: and I remember going to the staff kitchen just not being able to catch my breath because it just, it just threw me yeah and I made a promise at that point which is probably has been slightly detrimental to my career uh, and it was at that point I remember I re- said to myself that if I ever see anybody mistreated or microaggression macroaggression aggression full stop mm. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Like I am going to step into that space and I'm going to speak up and I'm going to tell people that is unacceptable. Um, and I said to my boss at the time, who's who's a really good friend of mine even today, and I said to her, I told her the full kind of story what had happened, and I said I'm not going to do it anymore. I said if yeah. we have anyone treating anybody badly in our in our, in my world and in my presence I am going to step up and say and that was like, like 12 13 years ago and I yeah. did yeah, you know I was you. like I'm not doing this anymore and it was you know people didn't like it people don't no, like they it they defensive. feel uncomfortable yeah.
0: They yeah because they think it's fine for them to be rude and to be offensive to people yeah. and when you probably point it out yeah. to them it's like oh, yeah me? I'm not racist yeah. like, no we'll actually take Ex- a look in the mirror exactly. at your yeah. behaviors yeah you know Ma-
2: exactly Gosh. well and I that's, was saying, that's such a sad never, story kind of, though I'm so, so sorry to hear that sorry it's I'm just so, like
1: still like, and taking it I, in. I'm like wow. I know it's I remember writing a blog about it actually when it was um Black History Month a couple of years ago uh and it was it was quite an emotional every time and I can now talk about that story without sobbing because yeah, every touching. time I spoke about it it was it made me cry and every time I did I remember doing this massive um event online actually was like 300 400 people on it and I told that story and I couldn't stop tears falling because I just mm. thought how can somebody be treated so badly in this world and without you know like I said it's so difficult to prove that they were treated badly because of the fact they were a black woman yeah it was so hard to prove and I think it's it's almost it's almost that they are trying to make you feel like you're the one that's
2: like gaslighting absolutely terrible yeah
1: absolute gaslighting microaggressions right every every single day yeah and and not being able to prove it it is uh, and and it was because of that experience the fact that I was like I'm not doing this I changed my behavior a lot Mm. so I was very much head down I don't want to talk about diversity I don't want to talk about inclusion you know I just Mm. want to be treated as I am which is a very um you know utopia kind of place to be in because yeah. if everybody was treating you fairly and treated you as you were then you won't have to talk about inclusion and diversity but yeah. people are biased and people are discriminatory and people are prejudiced and they create yeah. stereotypes and because they do that we have to be aware of that and question mm. some of the decisions that people are making about certain things that are going on yeah and I always kind of made those questions so, so why did you choose xyz to do that particular project and not xyz and people don't like it. People are like,
0: right, well, they won't because, you know, they're going to be like, oh, because of this or because of that. But, you know, yeah, it actually, they would do. But you're putting a um, magnifying glass. Sorry. You're yes, putting that yes. literally over the issue yes. and shining yes. it at them. And that's where it feels uncomfortable. But growth yeah. is uncomfortable as well. So it is. You know. you have to, and the thing is, what well, in my experience, people
1: aren't malicious by purpose. Yeah, you know, but, but it's based on their lived experiences, their irrational beliefs that they've grown up with, the mm-hmm. environment that they've been in, behaviors from others who look like them and behave like them. Yeah. And when you really dig deep and ask them curious questions about the decisions that they make, you can see their face like drop and their yeah. eyes kind of panic yeah. and fear sets in, and then defensiveness comes up and go. Yeah. And people automatically say, "I'm not sexist. I'm not racist. I'm not homophobic." Yeah. Yeah. Inst- without you even saying that saying
2: to them, it.
1: yeah, but asking yeah. the questions, they can see it. And I'm like, it's not about we're not t- saying that you are, but we're yeah. asking you to kind of think about why you are making certain decisions exactly. in your organization and what exactly. those decisions are based on.
2: Yeah, and
1: that's really important. All of us, right? We've all we've all got bias, right? And if yeah. you say you haven't, then you're not a human being because every right. human being has a bias. But even I had bias, right? And I, when I was doing my learning, to your point around biases and discrimination and the stereotypes I had Mm. about certain characters I had to really unpick that and unlearn it and even even today I'm still unlearning and unpicking and trying to educate myself why do I feel this way about this group of people
2: yeah
1: where where's my education come from and that's all we can and as communication professionals you know we spend so much of our time communicating to others that it's our duty to understand people
0: and yeah. to understand
1: the people that we're That's with. That's
0: why I get slightly frustrated with our industry because I feel like we spend so much time doing these sort of things that yeah. then you've got others, you've got some in industry that are doing some great things, then you've got others in the industry that I feel like are just being very performative. And I find that yeah. really frustrating because it's like, well, hold on a yeah. minute. You know, we can, we have an effective rule change. We do it in organisations all the time. So why are we not yeah. doing it more in our own backyard? So that's where I get a little bit frustrated with that. Because it's like
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, well it's annoying. Know. It's performative. Yeah. It's tokenistic. It and our industry is the worst for it at times. So bad. You know, the behaviors that they demonstrate and some of the you know, the pat on the back that some people want for doing what's
0: right. For doing what's right. That's a bit that I'm like, come on now, it's what's right, (laughs) you
1: know. You you should be doing this anyway. You should have inclusive conferences and events. You should be making sure that people who have social mobility challenges have the access points that they need to grow and thrive. You don't, you shouldn't need a medal or a pat on the back to do the right thing.
0: Exactly. And you should want to make sure your panels are very, you know, representative and you should want to make sure that, you know, we've got different voices are being heard. Because essentially we are about yeah. communicating. So why are we not making sure that we're having he- voices within yeah. as well, you know? So yeah. I find that really, yeah. really fascinating, fascinating. So your story you shared, I suppose it was more on the, because my question was going to be, was there every time you wish you spoke up about something? And I suppose that would be a yeah. friend, wouldn't it? Oh, every, every yeah.
1: single day. Like every, yeah. I really had to work on it because I was, I was putting the, I was making myself feel really guilty about the whole thing. And then I had to realise actually, the environment that surrounded the both of us didn't allow it wasn't either one of us to that, was it? Yeah. in Does the right it space like it? and it wasn't and all I can do you know I'm all about you know things happen for a reason at times in terms of the situation and you learn from that and as long as you're learning and as long as yeah. you're developing and, ch- and trying to change that yeah. then that's yeah. all you can really do and every single time I feel panicked about saying something that I know I need to say because Mm. I have the privilege to say as well at times
2: Mm.
1: I think about my friend I think about the situation that she was in and I remember and I think that I never want anybody on this planet to feel excluded because of who they are I feel like they need to prove their worth to other people who are just disrespectful of who they are so yeah. I any anytime I feel that kind of I I should really say something I don't know what to say I will say it because I remember that and because I don't work
0: in house anymore yeah I different. own my you've own got that freedom now don't you, you I've, got I've got the
1: freedom I've got the freedom to it. say it so I, so have you, Emma, really...
0: sorry to cut you is there ever been a That's time where you have been in the actual workplace where you, since that since your friend's passing when you've had to kind of say something in yeah. the workplace environment
2: yeah, How every
1: was single it day. As as well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is you know I I had to be like I give no hoots about this kind of behaviour. So international, so a, a classic example is International Women's Day, um, and I remember this director, male director, coming over and speaking to one of my colleagues about an event that she had volunteered to speak at. Right, and he came over and he said. Who do you think to to her? Who do you think you are? And she's like, "What? Who do you think you are?" Putting your hand up to volunteer to speak at this event, and she's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. You you, you obviously misunderstood in that meeting. They were asked. They were looking for directors. Ooh. You know, how are you a director? Like, how you're never going to get to a director level? What are you doing for yourself? Honestly, Ebony. Oh gosh,
2: his tone world? and his
1: behaviour was. up falling yeah so sounds, i you know sounds. rage i'm like a red rag to a ball and i was like uh, excuse me who who do you think you're talking to mm. and he's like what i said you can't talk to her like that yeah oh yeah well i'm just i'm, I'm only having a joke i went it's not funny though nothing's funny i, about can't, see that. Any, I, I can't see anyone laughing it's not funny
2: because well, like,
1: oh. why are you taking you know like getting all like you know stumbling over his words like what well, but, but but i was like no i said that's unacceptable and I remember my colleague just sitting there, not really saying anything. And I remember texting her later that night, and I said to her, "You cannot allow people to speak to you in this way, yeah, ever." Yeah. I said, it's "Especially." Right. I said, "Never, ever." The fact that he he had he felt he could do that on International Women's Day and speak Disgusting. to you like a piece of nothing on the bottom of his shoe, his behaviour and his tone, I said, "It's appalling."
2: Yeah. I said,
1: "You cannot allow people to speak to you in that way, and you need to complain about him yeah. because that is not acceptable." yeah but you know it's just and they they accepted it and they were fine you know they were like yeah i understand but it's that nervousness of wanting to say something and being seen as someone who's being sensitive oh Mm. she's a bit sensitive Mm. she's you know she's taking it a bit too far what's her problem you know that Mm. kind of stuff and and also things like there was i remember two removal guys coming in to take some chairs and tables away uh, and as there were, the, one of the guys hit his hand and the other colleague said to him, oh, don't be a puff. What have you been a puff for? Don't be gay. Me. And I and I looked up and he looked at me and then just carried on. And I went, oh, excuse me. And this is like, you know, it was, it was, a you have to put yourself in a situation times when you feel that like you can.
2: Yeah. But I remember
1: the Muslim looking at me and I went, excuse me, I don't think it's appropriate for you to say those words.
2: No, and one not. of the guys
1: went, what, what do you mean? I said, you can't like, I think that's really quite, you know, derogatory
0: using mm. that terminology
1: to describe someone who's hurt themselves yeah and I my heart was racing about 300 miles per hour <laughs> our was. mouth was dry and these guys were like big burly white guys right you yeah. were like moving things and I was like oh my god what are you doing um but due respect they were like totally understand we're so sorry you're, yeah. you're 100% right we should not be saying that and we'll, we'll be very we're very aware of it now and I was like oh right okay brilliant thank oh, you, you. I was I was ready for like like a not a was fight, ready for like a, like a back
0: and forth like kind a, of like yeah a,
1: like a debate but they were yeah. like I remember them putting the table down saying oh we're so sorry yeah you're right we shouldn't say that and and they were absolutely fine and I didn't wasn't rude about it you know I was respectful like and yeah, I said excuse me you know this is I didn't go how dare you don't do yeah. this don't do that because it just inflames them yeah when you behave that way and I yeah. think you have to be when they when they're unconsciously unconsciously saying it because it's such a habit you know the difference between people who have been mean, like that leader, that director has been yeah. mean to my colleague, yeah. and that's when that red red to a ball, and you do your tone does shift yeah. to somebody to a group of people who are unknowingly just a bit ignorant. Yeah, just a bit ignorant, so. ignorant. ignorant. And just using things yeah. that they
0: might have parents might have said back in the day, yeah, and you exactly. just kind of pick up the same exactly. of lingo, and then you exactly. become aware yeah. of it and thinking, oh, actually, why am I saying this? You know, there's yeah, things exactly. that I say, yeah. and you think not like derogatory sayings, but there's things that you hear and you think, where did this saying even come from? Oh, you know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm like well, Where
1: did that I, come from? i, <laughs> I stop say saying things like, yeah, exactly. So I say all the de- all the time, "Oh, I've had such a crazy day. It's been really yeah. insane. Oh, it's madness yeah. out there." Yeah. And I'm, re- I'm I'm really paying attention a lot to mental health and well-being, and I'm yeah. trying to stop saying those words because it yeah. demises the uh, the experiences of people who are who ha- do have mental who health, health issues going
0: on and absolutely. who are struggling.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I try not to say. So I use words like vibrant or. Oh, it's been very different kind of day to day. You know,
2: when yeah. trying to
0: avoid, but it's a learning curve, right? And everyone has is. it. It's no one's really perfect. Yeah. No You've one. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody is perfect. Absolutely agree with you there. Well, that was really interesting. So, I want to take you into what I term code switching. So, you yeah. know, when you're at home, you might be a bit more chilled out. I'm at home. I might be like a bit more dropping into a bit of my, you know, war or whatever I'll do in the workplace. <laughs> you know, I never would really do that, apart from maybe with a few people who maybe would understand the dialect. Yeah. Um, but in the normal context of the setting. So the question is like, you know, do you feel that we can actually leave our authentic voices in a workplace or we will we be forever code switching?
1: Oh, I, I, I hope, I do hope that we can just be who we want to be at work. You know, yeah. we get to decide who we want to be without feeling that we need to change our behaviour, our tone, our accent, our language. Um, but it's going to be a while, I think, yeah. before we can do that. Um, And people say, don't they, a lot like, oh, I want, I want, people to be their authentic self in my organization i want people to be there who they need to be and i'm like okay that's no you
0: don't a lot of them don't because when they do turn up they don't want them like that
1: (laughs) exactly as i said but what are you so i always say this but what are you doing to help them be who they need to be in that space how are you supporting them how are you creating that psychological safe environment so they can be who they need to be and don't need to code switch and this is a new you know this is when i spoke to my um, white friends about code switching they were just shocked that yeah. people do code switch. I'm like, yeah, it happens. I said I do it. And my yeah. friends do it. Yeah. We all do it. We all code. We switch. all do
0: it to a, we all to it. a degree. We I think it. there's some. some even some of my white colleagues that I know might put on a little bit more air and graces. And then you've got others who oh, don't yeah. have a clue whatsoever. Because they just turn up how they are, and they don't think yeah. about that. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. I think I honestly don't think we will be able to. I would like us to, to, but my view yeah. on it is a bit like. I don't see us, be. depends on the environment, it does depend on the environment, but in some particular environments, I don't see, see us being able to leave that authentic voice just yet, like you said, it's, there's a time, there's a bit of time, you but know. It's not safe enough, I just, it's, it's not, right now. that's the problem, it's enough. not safe enough, that is the issue at the it's moment. It's not safe enough to do yeah, it, it's I not agree. safe
1: enough to do it, and I think we're already dealing with the visible discrimination that we often get for being who we are, yeah. I think as soon as you start truly bringing your authentic self in, most Some environments are definitely changing, there's no question about that, but most environments don't have the safety that they need, Mm -hmm. the education that they need, and the support that people need to be their true, authentic self. Yeah. and i also think that we should never ever push people which some organizations are in danger of doing mm-hmm. by saying i want you to bring your whole self into work i want you to bring your authentic self into work and you have to be real and all that kind of stuff i'm like yeah it's okay to say that but you're not really doing anything to help the situation exactly. by saying it and putting in your comms it's not enough your behaviours have to change to, change to demonstrate your intent right yeah. what you're trying to do because yeah. people will read that cost but if your behaviors are not changing right and you're still you know to your point there are some leaders who will be pretending to be someone that they're not because of yeah. whatever experiences that they face if they're not willing to be real about their experiences and their reels and their home life then mm. it's going to be difficult for other people to do that exactly it's going to be really hard. So, one question yes. I always say to leaders to ask mm. people to help break that authentic, bar- authentic barrier is, how can I help you thrive in this workplace? Mm. What do you need from me to help you thrive in this workplace? And that one very simple question can open up so many different conversations and Absolutely. honesty and, tr- and trust. Absolutely. Trust is such a big part. Of yeah. the authentic side of what who we need to be.
0: Absolutely, because you're not going to let your guard down with some if you don't feel we can trust. So absolutely. No. You're not going to let no. your guard down either if you feel like you're being brought in to, to just, you know, fill up fill out the kind of optics side of, of, yeah. of recruitment. You know, because yeah. then you, you might go there thinking, Okay, this is fine. But then if like you said, if behaviours haven't changed, essentially we're yeah. going back to the Einstein quote, aren't we? You know, it's insanity. Yeah. We're expecting yeah. something yeah. different when you haven't changed yeah. it. So yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely pick up on you and I agree with you on that. Absolutely. So in particular, in um, the PR, PR comms sector, when did you become aware of the colour bias? Have you always been sort of aware of it? Or was it something that you later kind of realised? Like for me, I realised once I got more active, because I joined the CIPR um, quite young in my profession. And, um, but once I got more networking, you know, I became more aware of what it was like in terms of makeup. Then when I joined the Women in PR committee board, um that was really interesting too because I was the first black woman to be on the board and then going to a lot of the events you know networking events it's just a sea of white women and it was just like yeah, yeah. wow it is just so biased in this industry you know you see it yeah. more when you're out networking when you're in your job doing your job you're just like well okay you might see yeah. people of color throughout the organization because I don't love in-house work so for you was you always aware or was it something that you uh kind of realized later on
1: no, it was probably well. I hadn't met a person of color up until about seven, eight years in my career, so I knew yes. there was a problem in our industry. Yeah. Uh, and when I was um, on social media, which is where I did most of my networking before I joined Chinese public Relations, yeah. I didn't really have anybody of color that I followed in the PR right. and comms world. Didn't know anybody, especially yeah. internal communication, at that time. Okay. Um, and that's when I made the conscious effort to make the take the energy and go down to London okay. and meet people face to face. But to your to your experience when I walked into rooms and conferences and events there was like one or two of us I yeah. would say of of yeah. colour in that room um no men of colour I never really saw men of colour who worked in in internal comms specifically yeah not PR, but internal comms uh, and then I decided to do the odd one and then I went to like the more national conferences and I saw one or two people but like your to your point I was a bit like what is what is going on here yeah like why are we not seeing people that they, they do exist I know they do
2: yeah but
1: where are they what's going yeah. on and When Priya and I created A Leader Like Me, we naturally attracted communication professionals who worked in the industry Mm. and we had 30 women on our first cohort and I would say 28 of those women worked in comms and PR Mm. and we spoke across the globe and we spoke to them about visibility and we said you have to be visible so other people can see that there are people like them out there. And don't ever feel that you can't be you know so change your egg photo on twitter into a proper photo Mm. be talk on linkedin about some of your experiences and what you're doing i said you don't have to talk about work like your work experiences because i know some work organizations can be a bit challenging to get permissions to talk about stuff but i said you can talk about yourself and talk about who you are because the more people who get to know different cultures and different communities and different and different people the better it's going to be for up. your own knowledge yeah. and you know you can encourage each other so where you know like we, I know you've spoken to Sudha Singh so was one of our you know founding members of a leader like me yeah
2: Um,
1: and as was Teela Clayton and Shalini Gupta and Nafisa Shafiq you know these women who were not not invisible by any stretch but were definitely not as visible as they are today because yeah. there just wasn't any encouragement at that time, I would say, to put yourself out there. And I know Susan has done some incredible work within the PRCA. Yeah, she has. Uh, She she was named as one of the top 25 innovators with uh, Provoke Media. amazing. Uh, You know, so she's, you know, and Teela's doing a PhD at Leeds Beckett University in comms and PR. So, you know, Shalini's got an incredible, like these women have got such incredible
0: stories. Yes.
1: And all because, I would say part of it, not all, obviously, but part of it is definitely down to the community that they're surrounded by. Yeah. And the support that they get around that that community and knowing that you're going to have this incredible network of women who are going to support you, whatever you do, and will champion you and will give you the encouragement and confidence to get out there and be seen and be heard and be recognised for the contributions you're making to our industry. Mm. Because let's admit it, you know, our industry is very slow at doing that. Yes. Um, and it's not doing I mean it's changing. I mean, I have to say CIPR and PRCA both are changing, I would say a little bit, taking yeah. time, but it's yeah, changes,
0: change. but still changes. Okay, change, but the changes. You say slow you progress is, is better than no progress.
1: Exactly. Progression uh, over perfection, right? And that's yeah. what I always say. And so I, I speak to Karai at PRCA, you know, Alistair at CIPR about yeah. certain things. I know the the D and I committee at CIPR. They're doing incredible work they're doing and it's lots. about time. They're yeah. doing fantastic stuff, but we have to champion each other. As yes, women and exactly. as women of colour or as people of colour in the industry and in PR and comms, we have to champion each other. Yeah, we have to I support each other. People, people will try and pitch us against each other, right? Oh, X, yeah. Y, Z is doing the same as what you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter. No,
0: like, just, we have just to, to be support each, support each, 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 each other's cheerleaders. Absolutely agree Just with be
1: cheerleaders. Yeah, yeah, champion each other. That. High five each other. There's yeah. enough support out there and work for everybody. Yeah. So let's just support each other and champion. Because if we don't do it for each other... Then what hope do we have to change minds and hearts mm. and perceptions outside of our own yeah, you know exactly. marginalized community within the uk and us and canada and places like that we have to champion each
0: other and support Absolutely. each other exactly. really important exactly really important like you said even with the with i guess it's cip i've been a member of them for ages i do the independence network and so Alistair, also agrees that you know people who tune into this podcast get three CPD points, which I was really happy about. You know, yeah, so, amazing. You know, even that's really great because it's actually encouraging people to tune in and learn yeah. about you know other stories, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And Corey, uh, he he helped us kind of share it in the network as well, which is yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. Good. It's, great. it's about tapping into the networks. So I agree with you on that. And as I mentioned, those guys, my it kind of leads me nicely into um, your thoughts on allyship. <laughs> and what it means for you, and what, what's a kind of a good example of allyship to you, you know, that, that, that's what I wanted to throw
1: yeah. you way. I, I am a, you know, ally, it was Ruchika Tolshian who spoke on our um, diversity in action conference that Priya and I hosted a, a couple of weeks ago, and she says that ally should be a verb, and I completely Ooh. agree with her. Okay, And it's about doing things, right, and yes. not just saying things. And it's not about saying to your friends, you shouldn't really say that. It's explaining why they shouldn't why? say that, yeah, and being yeah. the anti, right? So being the anti-racist,
2: yeah,
1: uh, and and making sure that they understand the why behind your rationale. It's, it's 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 okay to say, oh, I don't agree with that, and then yeah, you know, yeah. being quiet, but going a bit further as a as a true ally, doing things and showing your yeah. support and saying, actually, why don't you have representation on this panel? it's really unfair that we're not seeing people of different ethnicities and different you know and different genders sitting on this panel why does it always have to be that marginalized or underrepresented person who always have to speak up about that yeah so an ally is somebody who has nothing to gain in any of this right they are mm. championing and supporting and doing things and active actively doing things to yeah. make a difference yeah. and I don't think you can Say you can, you know, I've got this thing about calling ourselves allies for the community that we're supporting. It's only that community that can te- call you an ally. yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you they make that decision whether you're an ally or not in that space. So yeah. um, that's what an allyship means. Allyship for me is somebody who will champion, speak up, defend, support, take active, um, uh, active uh, time to go and do things properly and learn and educate themselves about why, the certain community or, or people are facing discrimination prejudice and what are they going to do to support that it's yeah. easy to put black square on instagram and it's easy it's to amazing. say i don't agree with it yeah you know and it's all performative and tokenistic it's exactly. what, what are you physically doing to make a difference to that community that will change yeah. the way they are treated in the world
0: that we're in today absolutely perfectly spot on i love the way you do you don't know that one so moving more into you i wanted to ask you so what motivates or inspires you to keep going
1: um seeing the changes that people are making to help others thrive you know so Mm. seeing some of the people so working with organizations and helping them understand what inclusion means through communication and seeing the outcomes of that and seeing Mm. that how how much fulfilled people are and how they are thriving and progressing and seeing the community you know seeing them be seen in this space yeah. as well and recognising that they are making a difference and giving them the confidence in doing that as well because a part of what I do is confidence coaching and helping people build their confidence in who they are and understanding who they are and understanding what their self-esteem is and all that makes such a big difference. So it's always outcome-led for me. It's like, what difference am I seeing and what difference am I making? And my one of my favourite sayings is small ripples will create big waves Absolutely, and we may think we're not making a massive difference So, what could I possibly do in this complex complicated world that we live in and I'm like do what's within your remit to do right everybody has a can make a difference from being that anti-racist or anti-homophobic or you know whatever to calling people out to championing others in your community and network or sharing people's names if you think they're going to be good for a particular project or a job yeah. All of that kind of stuff makes such a difference. Calling out event organizers and saying here a list of people that you could have on your event on your to make event. it more representative. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are great speakers. That kind yeah. of stuff, you know. And I want to see people doing that and taking active action in doing that. That makes me feel that what work mm-hmm. I'm doing and the pain that we sometimes go through to do this work is making mm-hmm. a big difference.
0: I hear you on that one. Thank you for sharing. And I want to ask you also, what did you find most challenging on your journey so far? you've had
1: quite a journey. I think, you know, just being just finding my finding my voice has yeah. been hard. You know, how do I contribute to this world? What am I and what am I saying that's going to help people thrive and grow and do things differently? You know, when I decided to call my business trouble, like I kind of tiptoed into it a little bit. I was so worried. And I got trolled in my first year of business. You know, I was receiving really? some yeah, honestly, I was receiving proper hate um For my name and for everything, and it was just, it was, it was quite discouraging. Um, your
0: name, you know, I'm a rebel, so I'm like, hello, we're not having any of that. I know. Stuff. Okay, this, I is know. Nine to five, this is nine to five work rebels, so we're rebels and, over here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Up.
1: And this is we need, we need more people like us out there yeah. who are willing to take it. But it can, it can drag you down. And that year of trolling and then co- uncovering who that troll was was traumatic enough, to be honest. Wow. It was, it was, it took my breath away a little bit, and it kind of ruined my mental health. I have to admit yeah. at that point, but externally, you know, you show up and you do the work that you yeah, to do. Yeah, we always do, don't we? We do, do. You show up, yeah. right? People depend on you and you show up. But yeah. I say that was my, that period of my life in the first year of business, first year, 18 months of business was definitely tough for me because yeah. I I panicked and I worried and I, I thought, yeah, does anybody want to work with me? Am I going to make expected. my business a success? You yes. know, and it, you everybody goes through it, you know, at in your business.
2: Yeah, and exactly. I think that,
1: that was that, that was my kind of um, challenge in that first kind of 18 months. And because of the community, and I know we've spoken about community a lot on this podcast, but the community, the people around me, my friends, my family, the networks, people like you who are constantly championing, supporting, talking to others, recognising the work that people are doing, yeah. it gives you hope, right? Yeah, it does. And it gives you motivation and it inspires you. And it's so important that we continue talking to different absolutely. people and seeing different people who are doing great
0: stuff out there. Completely agree with you on that. Absolutely. Thinking about yourself as when you was an employee, you know, and also thinking about the work that you do in terms of the coaching and, you know, the work you do around the EDI, you know, what would you want from your employer? What does, what makes a good working environment basically is what I'm trying to get at.
1: I think one of the big things when I work with organizations is what does inclusion mean to you? Yes. You know, what 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 does it mean to you and how do you help people belong? And until you understand that part of what it means to you, you can't help change and you can't make change happen because regardless of what people say, it's leaders who will make the culture in organisations and if your leader is not demonstrating, you can do everything you like at a certain level, right? You can put in the policies, you put in the procedures, you can tell your line managers to do X, Y and Z. But if your leaders, your core leaders who are driving the strategy and the and the vision and the mission of the organisation that are responsible for that and not changing their behaviours or understand what it's like to include people, nothing is going to change.
2: Mm-hmm. So my
1: hope for organisations that I work with is understanding the big why, like why are we doing this what's the yeah. purpose of us doing what we're doing here and the second thing is what does what does it look like to you when everyone is thriving and everyone belongs what does yeah. that feel like what does that look like what does belonging mean to you and until we understand that we recognize that in ourselves we can help others do that and champion yeah. others so what yeah. am i doing what what personal accountability am i taking here to yeah. make sure that my colleagues can thrive when i in this organization and how am i doing that yeah. And until we can take that personal that accountability and understand our personal learning areas, then we can move to organizational level. Yeah, because we need to bring people with us on this journey. And it's as you said, it's a it's a hard journey. So my like my tagline, whatever you want to call it, is you know helping, uh, helping workplaces make a difference yeah. uh, to people so that they can thrive in the in, in in the work that they do. and that's the big thing so what are you doing differently to help people thrive and how are you doing that and like i said before that people aren't intentionally malicious Mm -hmm. you know 90 percent i would say i'm gonna say this yeah it's
0: a large percentage but it's not there's a small percentage that are but yeah but it's the majority
1: Yeah, Yeah, majority of people are generally kind generally generous considerate Mm. people good people who are trying to do their best in this world that we're in sometimes they make mistakes like we all do and they make decisions based on bias and they make decisions based on other people's influences and they make Mm. decisions based on pressure peer pressure and finances and resources and all that kind of stuff but I always encourage them to kind of really think about what is it that you're trying to achieve here and why you're doing what you're doing and slow down your thinking because we work so quickly and we make decisions so quickly which is important in the world that we're in. Yeah. But there are certain things that we do need to slow down our thinking on and take that time to really reflect on why you're making certain decisions about certain things that are going on.
0: Agree, agree. And then my next question around that is more about, you know, for you. I mean, we touched on it earlier, I suppose, and it's about having that environment. But what does they, what does diversity, equity and inclusion really look like? And it is that, isn't it? It's just making sure yeah. you're, everyone's able to thrive, yeah. essentially. Isn't yeah. It? yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we talk yeah. about an equity. Equity specifically is important to me, rather than equality. Too. Don't get me wrong,
0: but equity, equity is key. Is crit- it is, is about critical. that fairness. It's very yeah. key, and yeah. I feel like uh, a lot of people can get around doing things by using equality. But yeah. equity will mean that you have to bring people up in line with where yeah. they're supposed to be. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm definitely a, a, a more like you on yeah. that one. I'm with yeah. you. And make, make
1: and allowances for people who don't have the privileges of the platform affording Exactly exactly you know, and, this, and you have it is a like you said it's a brave thing to do because you people will argue that's not equality yeah and you know it's and i'm not the biggest fan of leveling the playing field because i think that term has kind of lost its meaning a little bit mm. but it is about bringing people to 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 equal platforms yeah. right yeah. and making sure that they're not starting 10 steps behind you
2: yeah and you're
1: doing everything in your power to bring them on the same level starting point as everybody yeah else. yeah and,
2: exactly and that's it that. and
1: we all and we from the school's from the school education system, which we know is broken at times, mm-hmm. to workplaces, we all have a responsibility
0: to do that. I, I agree with you on that one. And moving quickly into your proudest moments, can you tell us uh, about one of your proudest moments? Could be work or personal or just a particular care- career highlight? You think you I think, us.
1: yeah, I think right now it's the book, you know, being commissioned oh, to yeah, write a book.
0: Amazing. That's been my proudest moment.
1: I never thought it would be possible for me to write a book at all. Uh, And the fact that Priya and I did lots of research in business books, and there aren't many women of colour writing business books, specifically around internal comms uh, and and inclusion. So that moment when we got the yes from Cogan Page, who are our publishers, to say, yes, we want to commission you to write this book, we were thrilled to be. It's amazing. you know, it's hard. I'm not saying it isn't. I've had moments of despair and I thought, why on earth am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> a book. I had this vision of like sitting on a beach in a beach hut, walking across, you know, listening to the waves. It's doing not a bit quite like how a... goes. No, no, it really wasn't. I've been sat in my garden office on the week, every single weekend since June trying to write my chapters. Trying to write your chapters, yeah. yeah, I heard that. And one. it hasn't, and it has, it has not been as easy as I thought it would have been, or at, or at least as glamorous or romantic. As I thought it would have been, but do you know what? Been. I am so it's on. It's available for pre-sale. So when, uh, when I saw that it's on Waterstones, it's in Barnes Amazing. and Noble, it's on yeah. Amazon for pre-sale already. Pre-order. Pressure. Just, You're just, like, oh,
2: gosh. Was, the
1: pressure was the pressure was intense. I'm not even going to lie, especially when people keep messaging me saying, "I bought the book. I can't wait to read it." And I was yeah. like, "No." No, neither can I. I, can't <laughs> wait <to do> it. <laughs> I haven't read it from, from from front to end at the moment. We've just, just been writing it. Yeah. But just seeing my name and Priya's name on that book and available on um, pre-order on stores like Waterstones where I spent hours of my youth, you know, browsing yeah, the book. and chawing Yeah, absolutely. And, and knowing that one day in the next, you know, over the next six months or so, that book's going to be available. It's
2: amazing. A hard copy
1: book. That's been my proudest moment. Yeah, and I, if I if feel you, that. Pierre and I talk about the book writing quite openly and candidly about the challenges we face, because we want to encourage other people, other women like us to put themselves out there and say, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. And if more more of us can do that, then imagine the change we can make.
0: Absolutely agree with you. Absolutely. And a couple of things about the industry. So what are your thoughts on how the industry will evolve over the next few years? And what key lessons have you learned throughout your career that you might want to share with our listeners? Um, I
1: think the industry is. A, I think the industry will start recognizing that, you know, they need to bring in more talent from different background, people from different diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. to help address the gaps that we're seeing in the markets right now. You know, our consumers and customers are diverse.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, but the people who buy our products and our services are diverse, and the people surely who are communicating about that need to recognize that they need to bring in diversity in that space and I think yeah. our industry will start seeing that and we've seen we spoke about it earlier we're seeing changes happen mm-hmm. we've got we've got advocates and allies and uh, and champions and supporters who are doing some incredible work mm-hmm. in this space you know Sarah Waddington Steve Waddington is that socially mobile course which mm-hmm. is brilliant helping people who don't have um the privileges to afford courses they know they're putting yeah. through a 10-week program which I think is yeah. brilliant Elizabeth Benuka is doing incredible work with the yeah, pros yes yeah, and And, fanta- and she's a, I would say she's a pioneer um spearheading yeah. all of this work you know looking up to some of the stuff that she's doing
0: and she's been doing it on her own for a long time she has she has and I mean, you've got even UK black Comb network I yeah. went to one of their events last yeah, week UK that black, really black comms network they're all doing
1: yeah Kamika, all the work that they're doing and you know not even and, and appreciating the energy and the effort it goes into doing these things without yeah. without much support from anybody else to be honest with you you know it can't it's it's exhausting it's tight ty- it's tiresome you you'll often have to defend the stuff that you're doing you'll always get some haters saying stuff to you but now i can see the memberships being supportive and to your point you know accrediting courses and programs and things like that so people can get points so they know you know it's intensive for them to listen
2: yeah exactly. teach-
1: and people you know Priya and I created the underrepresented speaker list mm. you know we've got 125 names on that list and people email us saying from the industry to say thank you so much because we're now we now expanding that network and we invite people to talk that's great be, you know I need to so get, me- on that list yeah, get on that list, get on <laughs> yeah.
2: that
1: list honestly it's been no, really, really an incredible thing so I can see that so I can see the change happening and it will happen I know it's is that we can feel a bit impatient about the whole thing, but it will happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what was your last Might question? My last bit
0: was around key lessons that you've learned throughout the industry and any advice you'd uh, give to, like, a younger person as well trying to enter the industry.
1: Yeah. So key lessons I've learned is get yourself out there.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: don't fear networking. Or if you don't like networking, then create a networking space that you're comfortable with, if that makes yeah. sense. So I created yeah. um, a, a thing called the Cons High. Cause I I'm not the biggest fan of sitting in a room and trying to network with people, you know, yeah. that, that it's just a bit uncomfortable. So I created uh, my own kind of networking so called the Comms Hive, where we get together and we go for dinner, a group of us, and we we share our thoughts, have therapy yeah, <laughs> around Comms so and PR. Yeah, and, and then you know, so I do it across the UK, and obviously because of the pandemic, we haven't done it, but I'll be re reinitiating them over time. But do you do what what makes you happy, right? What works for you. So blogging, being on Twitter, being on Instagram, going onto different platforms, whatever, going to events, but you have to push yourself out your comfort zone a little bit to make it, you know, to make change happen and to help yeah. you. And yeah. it can be a bit uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable is not a bad thing. No, it's discomfort, not. that's a different topic, but uncomfortableness is not yeah. a bad thing. So definitely get out there and 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 do that. And I wish I learned that lesson earlier on yeah and I was probably like I said seven or eight years in my career before I kind of realized there's this whole other world that exists
2: yeah
1: um and I would say for the new folks who are coming into this industry don't be afraid to ask for help yeah I, don't be afraid to reach out to people and say look is there anything you can do to support me here is there something you can do to kind of help me and you know and be mindful about how much you're asking of people obviously all that we're all intelligent people we all know that but mm. don't be fearful of it you know, we all need help to get to where we're going we, we all need support none of us none of us have got here on our own I I will on it up, I am not I will not have had the success I have had if it wasn't for my community and the people around me
2: yeah so
1: don't ever think that you can't do it without asking for help you you can ask for help and it's, yeah. there's no shame in it and it's okay to put yourself out there. And the worst thing that can happen is that they say no or that's they ignore it, it? you. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: but the best thing that can happen is they go, yeah, of course, let me yeah. see what I can help you. I mean, it doesn't matter. There's no skin off your nose if they yeah. ignore you or they say no, right? You just move on. And you yeah. will meet people like the industry who will ignore you and won't, won't want to help. And that's okay. Mm. But there's more people who will. That's so massive to focus on, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to be honest, even though that's for entry level, I would say that across the board. It doesn't matter yeah. what level you are. If you are struggling, you need some help, then find those people because they exist. They're out Great.
0: there and you put Great. yourself out there into it. Great. And the last couple sorry, because I know you've got a scoop. So, <clears throat> mindset, I just want to get your bits on how you manage self limiting beliefs. And my other question is looking back on your journey, would you do it all over again?
1: um i think you need to know yourself really well to help you understand what your limiting beliefs are so right. get to know your values get to know your purpose understand your objectives and what value you're bringing in that's really important because mm-hmm. you become a bit like teflon um
0: and then what sorry what was the other yeah, one was there? about looking back on your journey would you do it all over again yes a doubt. Well, that that's 100%. brilliant i love when i hear that as well yeah that's great Definitely. and then what's the best or worst advice you've been given in your career
1: best advice has been um get yourself out there be seen yeah. be heard be visible, be visible. Have, you know put yourself don't don't fear rejection that yeah. was one of the best pieces of advice i've had worst nice. piece of advice i've had is um you, you can't you know you can't have everything and for me that was made me limit my own belief in what right. i could do
2: and right. I think you, you
1: can have whatever you want, but you've got to have the right mindset to do that. Yeah. And that probably wasn't the best advice because it stopped me putting myself forward for certain things that I wanted to do because people are like, Oh, you can't do everything, don't think yeah. you can do everything. And that's yeah. fair to an extent, but it's it's up to the individual and everyone is different. It is. It's an absolute. And you've got individual. to be you hon- you've got to be honest with yourself, right? What is your capabilities and what what support do you have around you to do what you need to do? Exactly. So, yeah, that's what I would say.
0: Okay, and this is my final question, which is, do you have any rules that you've implemented along your career journey that you can share with us? Rules, now, For me, no. mine used to be things like when I was working in employ- as an employee, it used to be like, well, if I don't feel like I can progress within, then I don't feel any way to step out and get promotion and, you know, make sure you're working in that way. That was one of the rules that I had. And I, one of the other rules that I always had was always have questions when you're going in for interviews and look at it like it's a two-way process. Do you want to work with them? Yeah. Just like they want to do. They want to work with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, being a comms rebel, I'm not always the best with rules. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Those are the only but, two that I could hang on to. <laughs> but, but guidelines wise, I completely agree with your two that you said, but just never, ever, never allow anyone to write your narrative for you. Like, yeah. be, be, find your own story and be proud of who you are. Comparison is a thief of joy. You know, yeah. so my rule is never compare yourself to anybody. Everyone yeah. is so different and everyone has different lived experiences. So embrace it, be happy and go go forward with what you believe in and compare. don't compare that's my rule don't compare yourself with anybody
0: I love that well, thank you so much it has been a pleasure talking to you You're thank welcome. you for taking your time to spend time with us and sharing your lived experience really really appreciate it if anyone thank wants you. to contact you can you let them know where they can find you
1: yes you can find me on com, or I'm on all the social platforms so advita uh, underscore p on twitter or advita patel on linkedin
0: Amazing! Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you. Stay tuned, everybody who's been listening. We will be back with some more people from the wonderful world of comms. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Ebony. Thank you. Thank you.